Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. A dirty bomb. Against Ukraine. Such things could be planned. They should not give one red cent to Ukraine while that border is open. To issue a subpoena from Donald John Trump. They sent me a subpoena the other day. Mega, mega trickle down. I will probably have to do it again. And get ready. Are you ready? Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Monday. Unfortunately, we have to report to you at least three were killed in St. Louis at a high school shooting. The suspect was killed by security. St. Louis police say eight people were transported to the hospital. The shooter is dead. Uh, another sad story. Really, no more details. Uh, I'm sure over the coming days and weeks, we'll have more information about uh, why it happened and uh, any motive. Uh, sorry to report that. Speaking of schools, unfortunately, more bad news. The News and Observer is reporting this afternoon that North Carolina students performed the worst they've done in more than 20 years on national tests of reading and math performance showing how much achievement has declined since the pandemic, reports the News and Observer. Reading and math scores in the state dropped from three years ago for fourth through eighth graders on the National Assessment of Education Progress. The results released today by the U.S. Department of Education's National Center for Education Statistics show that scores are the lowest they've been for North Carolina public school students since the late 1990s. The drop in North Carolina's performance mirrored nationwide drops on exams, which have been called the nation's report card. Many of the gains that have been made before in-person instruction was disrupted during COVID-19 pandemic have been eased. Quote, the results in today's national report card are appalling and unacceptable, said U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. They're a reminder of the impact this pandemic had on learners and the important work that we must now do for our students. This is a moment of truth for education. How we respond will determine not only our recovery, but our nation's standing in the world. This is also a moment of truth our government schools are going to make. Uh, will this be their main concern? You know, here's the thing. I, I, Cardona, um, will we take this moment of truth and will the government schools go back to the three R's? Unfortunately, I know the answer to this. Under your leadership, it won't happen. But are we going to continue down the road of uh, the culture wars? Are we going to be pushing transgenderism? Are we going to allow pornographic books into our school libraries and into some assignments at certain classes? Are we going to continue to push critical race theory in the civics class? Are we more concerned whether Richard can play on the girls' volleyball team and shower with the girls than uh, we are concerned about on-grade pro uh, proficiency? I mean, you want to do something to help? Resign, Cardona. Resign. I mean, yeah, I, I no doubt that when we had that year of children having to stay at home and do online education i i would fully agree that uh i mean it's pretty obvious that 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 was an issue but a a long-lasting issue or the 
I would say the bigger problem of the two is how we have gotten away from the three R's. We're more concerned about the culture wars than we are about Johnny being able to uh, read and write. The average fourth grade math score nationally dropped five points since 2019, the lowest since 2003. The average eighth grade math score showed an eight-point drop. These mathemati- uh, mathematics results are historic, said Peggy Carr, Commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics, because this is uh, they are the largest decline in mathematics we have observed in the entire history of this assessment. Uh, again, uh, pandemic is part of it, but a big part of it is you're spending too much time pushing your progressive garbage. You know, what really makes these numbers even worse is we have heard time and time again the need to make the test easier. I have no empirical evidence, but uh, I'll give you a dollar to a donut that the tests that were given more recently were a whole lot easier than the tests were given back in the late 90s. State test results released in September showed this is this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. State test results released in September showed that 51.2% of students were proficient proficient on state exams. So in other words, 48.8 more or less half or not. That compares with 45.4 passing rate in the 2021 school year, 58.8 in the 2018-19 year. Now, I know there's going to be some small fluctuation, but the idea that half our students, half our students are not proficient, are not grade proficient, if, if this was any kind of business, would you keep those people that are running the business? <laughs> I don't think so. Wow. Half are failing. Carolina Journal is also reporting NBC News featuring uh, the North Carolina U.S. Senate race among five potential election surprises that could help determine which major party controls the chamber after November's election. Two weeks from tomorrow. Early voting, we're well into it. NBCNews.com headlines declares Senate wild cards, cards five sleeper races that surprise, uh, could surprise 2022. Every election tends to produce some surprises, with one-third of the Senate seats coming before the voters this fall. There are numerous contests that have perhaps flown too far under the radar. They put um, the North Carolina race in that category. They basically have said, this is too close to call. Now, if you remember, just last week, East Carolina University had a poll out, and they had Ted Budd up by six percentage points. I think that's probably more uh, true than uh, the idea that it's a toss-up. It could be anybody's race. Like, granted, six – well, no, it's not – you know, I mean, if, it, if it actually turns out to be a six-percentage-point race, that's a, that's a pretty fair margin to win by. If it's more than six, I'd say you're getting into the landslide uh, category. You say well, it's only six percentage points. Yeah, but uh, if you look at a six percentage point in, in a presidential race, now it de- depends on the popular vote. It depends where it falls, obviously, because we still are uh, 
we still have an electoral college, and uh, hopefully we will for a long time to come. But uh, six percentage points is a pretty big, uh, pretty big margin. Recent surveys show Bud leading by an average of two to three points within the margin of error. NBC acknowledges they're calling it too close to call. Uh, I think uh, Ted Bud will win by a, wi- a wide margin. I would say it's. I would say uh, I would not be surprised at all to see that six percentage point come in, come to reality. Uh, the Daily Wire is reporting uh, Uncle Joe completely zoning out in the middle of an interview. I mean, completely zoning out. And I've got the audio I'm going to play for you here, but the audio really doesn't do it justice because Joe's look is asleep with his eyes open. I mean, <laughs> and it seems when you watch it, it seems like it. He's he's there in the ozone layer for, for a long time before he comes back to reality. Um, now, this was Jonathan Capehart talking to Joe Biden on MSNBC. Um, what's sad about this is the fact that the mainstream media, really, it, it, even this was not a wake-up call. Play cut one. I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention. My intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision. Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr. President. Oh, Dr. Biden thinks that uh, my wife thinks that. Uh, that I uh, that, that we're that we're doing something very important. Yeah. Staying awake. <laughs> uh, you laugh, but it's scary. I mean, it is really scary. Uh, you've got uh, Xi Jinping and uh, Putin. Yeah, who knows what they're going to do? I mean, Joe totally lost it. And again, the legacy media, the mainstream media ignores it. I mean, totally ignores it. Joe uh, also might actually – now, that was when Joe fell asleep. When Joe stays awake, it gets worse. I know that's hard to believe, but it's the truth. So Joe is doing an interview, and uh, it comes up. They're they're talking about the student loans, and Joe starts bragging about it. Now, anybody that's got—I mean, it hadn't been that long. I mean, it's been what forty-five days since he announced the student loan forgiveness. He announced in August, without consulting Congress, that he would use executive action to spend about $400 billion on debt relief. Students, uh, either $10,000 or $20,000, which, by the way, that has now been put on hold by a uh, federal appeals court. Um, Pretty straightforward executive order, never went by Congress. And And the big argument right now from Republicans is, wait a minute. It's Congress that holds the purse strings. It's Congress that decides whether or not we're going to take this on because it, this is going to be a burden on the taxpayers. I mean, you don't just rip up the note and say, oh, it's, it's all even. Somebody's got to pay this money back. So Joe is uh, sitting down for this interview with a, a group called Now This News, the uh, young journalist Jashika Kumaran. Kumaran? Um, this, as, as he is giving his answer, 
this young journalist has this blank stare on her face trying to figure out how do I respond to this? Cut to. The other piece what we're trying to do is you probably are aware I've just signed a law that's being challenged by my Republican colleagues who are the same people who got PPP loans during the for up to close to, in some cases up to five, six hundred thousand dollars. They have no problem in that. The individuals in Congress got those. But um, what we've provided for is if you went to school, if you qualify for a Pell Grant, you qualify for two thousand. I mean, excuse me. Uh, you, you qualify for twenty thousand dollars in debt forgiveness. Secondly, if you don't have one of those loans, you just get ten thousand written off. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two, and it's in effect. And already, a total of I think it's now thirteen million people have applied for that service. This is uh, unbelievable. Uh, by the way, the Pacific Legal Foundation has said, listen, it is illegal for the executive branch to create a program by press release. And that's exactly what they did. And now the complaint is you cannot do this. This is illegal. So what is Joe? I mean, does he not know what's going on or is he trying to change the narrative, thinking he's going to fool the American public by saying, I got this passed by a vote or two? It never came before Congress. It never was up for a vote. That's what the complaint is about. And he talks about the PPP. Joe, let's talk about this student loan because you had no congressional input at all. You know, this truly is a modern-day version of the emperor has no clothes. And the crowd applauding the stark naked king is a crowd of mainstream media journalists. The king is stark naked, and they're applauding his clothes. And listen, everybody else, except for the journalists, are looking and saying, wait a minute, the guy's stark naked. Why are you applauding him? Why are you applauding his new clothes? He's stark naked. It is interesting to note the journalist, this uh, young lady, um, her last name is Kumaran. It's interesting to look at her face. Because as Joe is bumbling his way through this interview, she is staring in disbelief, not knowing, what do I do? (laughs) I mean, what do I do? Should I state the obvious that we have a president that is brain dead and lose my most favored status with my fellow progressives? Or do I speak the truth? Do I actually – and I guess the third option is she's clueless. She has no – I mean, and that's that's a really good possibility. That, that she thinks whatever Joe says must be factual. But should I speak the truth and uh, my fellow progressives do away with me? Apparently the peer pressure got to her because she, she just sat there, eyes blinking with this deadpan look on her face. I, I, I think she knew that Joe was her, – her problem was is he a liar or has he totally lost any cognitive abilities at all? Sad but true. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More news and views coming up. 
as the clock here we go again counts down the american people are going to have an opportunity this fall to november 8th to give a midterm report card the rhetoric character assassination is heating up they don't really care about facts and truth i have never seen an election cycle like this one it's whatever's going to make the opposition look bad midterm election coverage happens here we are taking our country back the game of politics gets exposed and this is eastern carolina's place to talk with tom and benny on news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 welcome back in it is october the 24th 52 years ago 1970 president nixon asked record companies to reduce the number of songs containing lyrics about sex and drugs oh to have those days back didn't work out too well, did it, uh, Richard? Taking a look at your weather forecast tonight, a few passing clouds, a low of 49. Tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, a high of 73. Tomorrow night, a low of 53 with clear skies. Wednesday, partly cloudy, a high of 81. So the next few days look awful nice. In fact, uh, really, uh, well, partly cloudy we get into the weekend and a chance of showers on Sunday. But uh, for the most part, this week is going to be a good-looking week. So get out and enjoy. You know, we just played that uh, couple of uh, clips that uh, Joe had when he was uh, having this interview with. Now, what happened? Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> now the news. Um, in that same interview, Crazy Joe was asked by a 25-year-old transgender actress and comic creator Dylan Mulvaney if states should have the right to ban gender-affirming health care. Biden, in essence, said no, they should not have any right to ban any medical uh, procedures for transgender Americans. I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that as a moral question and a legal question. I just think it's wrong as a moral question. So now he is the arbiter of morality. Thank you, Joe. Uh, So what is your point of reference for your morals, Joe? I mean, usually speaking, I mean, there's usually a point of reference for your moral decisions in life, Joe. What's yours? Uh, He went on to talk about his late son, Bo. No matter what the issue, his late son, Bo, is always brought into the discussion. His late son, Bo, he said he passed the broadest legislation in America dealing with gender-affirming capabilities. Now, Bo was an attorney general. Last time I looked... Now, granted, uh, as, as you just heard before the break, Joe doesn't know the difference between passing legislation and an executive order, so perhaps he doesn't realize that attorney generals do not even propose legislation or vote on legislation. They are there to enforce the laws of this state. But again, uh, we're talking about uh, Cousin Eddie here. He said, I feel very, very strongly that you should have every single solitary right, including the use of your gender identity, including whatever bathroom you want to use. Now, did Joe at all pay attention to what happened with Glenn Youngkin up in Virginia? I mean, was that enough? Virginia is a blue state. I mean, you get into the the suburbs of Virginia and it's it's very red. But because of Washington, D.C. and Richmond, it's uh, fairly blue. But even if you look at what has happened in northern Virginia, that is hard to find any red at all, even they voted for Yunkin. Even they are putting in sensible 
reasonable people onto the uh, high schools, uh, the school boards. This is not exactly a winning message, Joe. I mean, is it any wonder nobody wants you to come in and campaign with them? Not only are your numbers bad, but they're scared to death as to what you might say. Deputy uh, Editor Benjamin Weingarten from the uh, Real Clear Investigations said, listen, this is all you need to know about the Democrat Party. I mean, this is, if you're a Democrat and you're right on the edge of, uh, you know, am I going to win? Am I going to lose? It's a toss-up. It's just neck and neck. It's close. Joe comes out with something like this. At least when you're that senile, you do end up speaking the truth by mistake. Can't make it up. By the way, speaking of uh, politics, Fetterman, they're supposed to debate tomorrow night. Fetterman and Oz, John Fetterman and uh, Mehmet Oz. Fetterman has come out today and uh, has sent a memo to the media basically saying, you know, let's let's be clear about this matchup. Uh, you know, Dr. Oz is a professional TV personality. He's had a lot of exposure. He's always in front of the camera. I'm just a uh, guy that wears sweatshirts and really does, has no idea what I'm doing. I lived in my parents' basement for decades. And uh, I was, you know, a, a defunct mayor of some poor city in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania. You can't possibly expect me to stand up to a Mehmet Oz. In other words... He is putting out there all the uh, signals. Don't expect anything out of me. Yes, I'm going to lose this. I hope I don't lose as badly as you think I'm going to lose. But I am going to lose. In other words, he is really, 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 really lowering expectations. Uh, more good news for Mehmet Oz, though. He has now pulled ahead of his opponent, Fetterman, according to new polls, with only two weeks left to the 22 Midterm elections, a poll of 1,013 likely voters conducted by market research firm WIC found that Oz, who has trailed Fetterman in the polls throughout the campaign, now leads Fetterman by 4.5 points. Like other Republican candidates, Oz has experienced momentum in recent weeks and has closed the gap in polling. Even recent polls show that Fetterman ahead uh, has his lead down to within the margin of error. The WIC polls show Oz leading Fetterman 49.1% to 44.6%. Uh, 3.4 voting for someone else, 2.9 decided or undecided, I should say. And traditionally, undecideds go for the person who is out in front when, it times to walk, when it's time to walk into the voting booth. So that is that is great news. I, you know, I'm not saying that Mehmet Oz is uh, a, a, a strong conservative. Uh, I don't think he is. I would say he's probably closer to the rhino um, grouping of Republicans than he is to the uh, Ted Cruz type of Republican. But um, it is uh, – Fetterman would be a disaster. A little uh, news from around the world. Russian President Vladimir Putin – was out talking to soldiers, a new video shows what seems to be intravenous IV track marks on his hand while meeting with soldiers sparking rumors he is undergoing cancer treatment. Now, if you remember, we had a story about a month ago that people were wondering what is wrong with Vladimir Putin. He looked very, very puffy in the face. 
The video released by the Russian Ministry of Defense last week um, showing the Russian president overseeing drills while accompanied by several soldiers. Putin at one point is seen doning ear protection and glasses as he practices shooting a sniper rifle. After standing up, Putin grabs one of the soldiers' arms with his hands with a visible mark uh, showing. The report for the Ukrainian news website Kiev Post tweeted two videos out from the ministry, one with several watermarks making Putin's hands larger to see another hand with uh, no shot of his hand. Um, uh, Speculation, but um, Putin's health has uh, come under uh, question, especially the puffiness in his face. That and uh, over in China, have you seen that video of the former secretary of the CCP being escorted out of the Great Hall? A mask usher physically removes Ho Jinto. I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Don't don't hold your breath. Hu Jinto from the Great Hall of the People. 2,300 delegates were there watching on, media watching on. Obviously, Xi Jinping, he was sitting right next to him as two men come up and escort him out. Very awkward. It was very obvious that Hu did not want to leave and that he was visibly upset, even to the point that uh, there were not tears in his eyes, but he was visibly shaken, like, where am I going to be carted off to? At one point, he does put his hand on Xi Jinping's shoulder, and there was a brief uh, words passed back and forth. She basically kept looking forward, though, and ignored the situation while he was escorted out. You, you look at that video, and the thing that came to my mind is uh, this uh, who is going to be taken off to some prison somewhere and locked up, never to be heard from again. Uh, obviously, Xi Jinping was sending a message. I'm not. I'm not sure that Hu Jintou had done anything to make him upset or to usurp Xi. But uh, obviously, she was sending a message. If you think, because this guy was the former secretary of the uh, People's Congress, the National People's Congress, so he was he was the key guy before she took over. To take him out, the predecessor, is is really a uh, sort of a, a stance that would say, "I'm not putting up with any nonsense." Uh, you know what? If if you're not fully behind me, this this could happen to you. So one would ask, was China's Hu Jintou softer and more balanced than Xi Jinping? I mean, the, the first thought came to my mind is, well, you know, maybe Xi doesn't want uh, this guy who was a lot nicer than he is to be uh, thought of as, let's go back to him because he wasn't as rough as I Well, the truth of the matter is he was not any great guy. Uh, Xi Jinping succeeded Hu Jintou in uh, 2013. And the individual before Hu Jintou was a guy named Ding Jiping. I'm working on these <laughs> names. Yeah, give me some latitude here. It was Hu Jintou's uh, Xi's predecessor who presided over the changes of the Communist Party. And anything that Ding Jinping did 
to open up the markets to uh, allow more freedom to the Chinese people, people Hu Jintou took away. So he was not any any uh, wonderful kind of guy that was, uh, you know, that he he was a nice guy and she's going after him for some reason. No, he was he was uh, pretty much a bloodthirsty, and maybe that's why he looks so nervous as they're carting him off. That uh, he, yeah, if you're watching on Cable Seven or uh, on Facebook, there it is right there. But um, you know, he, he probably realizes when you're carted off in the middle of something like this. That's not good news. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm not being uh, taken back to be given some award or some prize, and I'm going to come. No, he's he's done. He's gone. Hey, let's take another time out. Lots more to talk about. Uh, there is a commentary by Victor Davis Hanson concerning denying election results. You're going to love this. Stay with us. I'll have that when we get back. This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. There are a, a few people that when they speak, I like to read and listen to what they say because they're smart. Now, there's a lot of people out there that think they're smart, but uh, and they're on the right side of the issue. But some people just have a way of being very insightful and concise and uh, bringing forth the truth. Victor Davis Hansen is one of those individuals. He wrote a piece just a few days ago entitled, Who Denies Election Results? And this is long, but this is worth listening to. A Democratic myth has arisen that former uh, President Trump he had a denial of the accuracy of the 2020 vote was unprecedented. Unfortunately, the history of U.S. elections is often a story of both legitimate and illegitimate election denialism. The 1800, 1824, 1876, and 1960 elections were all understandably questioned. In some of these cases, a partisan House of Representatives decided the winner. President candidate Al Gore in 2000 did not accept the popular vote results in Florida. He spent five weeks futilely contesting the state's tally until recounts in the Supreme Court certified it. The ensuing charge that former President George W. Bush was selected, not elected, was the Democrats' denialist mantra for years. In 2004, Barbara Boxer and 31 Democrat House members voted not to certify the Ohio election results in their unhinged efforts to overturn the election. Those denialists, including the current sanctimonious chairman of the January 6th Select Committee, Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi. After the 2016 crackpot Democratic orthodoxy for years insisted that the Trump had colluded with Russia to steal certain victory from Hillary Clinton, Clinton herself claimed that Trump was not a legitimate president. No wonder she loudly joined the hashtag the resistance to obstruct his presidency. The serial denialist Clinton later urged Joe Biden not to concede the 2020 election if he lost. Also, after the 2016 left-wing third-party candidate and denialist Jill Stein vainly sued in the courts to disqualify voting machine results in pre-selected states. 
a denialist host of Hollywood C-list actors in the 2016, cut a television commercial begging members of the Electoral College to violate their oaths and instead flip the election to Hillary Clinton. Clinton herself had hired foreign national Christopher Steele to concoct a dossier of untruths to smear her 2016 campaign opponent, Trump. The FBI took up Clinton's failed efforts. It likewise paid in vain her allies like Christopher Steele to verify the dossier's lies. The Bureau further misled a FISA court about the dossier's authenticity. A FBI lawyer even altered a document as a part of the government to help disrupt presidential transition and presidency. The Clinton Clinton FBI Russian collusion hoax was a small part of the progressive effort to warp the 2016 election results. The Washington Post giddily bragged about various groups formed to impeach Trump on his first day in office on the pretext he was illegitimately elected. Rosa Brooks, an Obama administration Pentagon lawyer, less than two weeks after Trump's inauguration, wrote a long denialist essay in foreign policy outlining a strategy to remove the supposedly illegitimate president. She discussed the options of impeachment, the 25th Amendment, and even a military coup. When rioting exploded in the streets of Washington, D.C. after the election results became clear, Madonna infamously shouted to a mass crowd that she dreamed of blowing up the White House, presumably with Trump's family in it. Was that not the most violent form of election denialism? The election denialist Stacey Abrams became a media heartthrob and left-wing cult hero. Abrams monetized her ridiculous denialism or voter suppression by stumping the country from 2018 to 2021, claiming without evidence that the 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election was rigged. In truth, she lost by over 50,000 votes. Time Magazine's Molly Ball in a triumphalist essay bragged that in 2020, a combination of big tech money from Silicon Valley, fueled by Mark Zuckerberg's $419 million infusion, absorbed the balloting collection and counting of several key voting precincts weighed to help Biden. Ball bragged of careful pre-election censoring of the contemporary news by big tech, most notably That effort spread the lie that Hunter Biden's laptop scandal was Russian disinformation. Left-wing interest groups modulated the often violent Black Lives Matter and Antifa street protest of 2020 in efforts to aid the Biden campaign. Ball summed up that the left-wing election engineering effort as a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes and called it, quote, the secret history of the 2020 election. So who exactly were those secret warpers of the 2020 election. As Ball put it, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across the industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. It is entirely legitimate to question the um, probability and legality of those systemic left-wing efforts in key states to overturn long-standing voting laws passed by state legislatures. Then followed an even larger effort to render Election Day a mere construct for the first time in American history. Over 100 million ballots were not cast on Election Day. The vast majority of them, by design, Biden votes. Somehow, customary ballot disqualification rates of mail-in ballots 
in some states plunged even if their numbers exploded. The scariest form of election interference was the 2020 cabal. The FBI, Silicon Valley, street protesters, and the media all conspired to work together for their results. Apparently, that conspiracy was the denialist response to the 2016 victory of Trump that they never accepted. Well written. <laughs> well written. We got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is your Drive at Five I and ENC with there. Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Welcome back in 10 minutes before the top of the hour. Saudi Arabian's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam, the king's 37, the kingdom's 37 year old ruler is reportedly mocked Joe Biden in in private. Um, Well, Prince, welcome to the party. You're a little late. (laughs) Apparently, he has questioned Biden's mental health. And, uh, of course, Joe, when he hears about it, I mean, remember how upset Joe got just because the Saudis wouldn't pump more oil and how, you know, there's going to be repercussions here. Um. The prince also said that he is unimpressed with Biden and really preferred dealing with Donald Trump. And you stop and think about it. I would think even those in opposition would prefer to deal with someone whose cognitive abilities are intact and they know where the guy's going to come from. I mean, people, you know, would would say of Trump, you know, that we don't know which way he's going to turn or what decisions he's going to make. He's a dangerous guy and his fingers on the button. How I mean, you I'd much rather. I mean, look, Joe, Joe with his finger on the button. That is scary. Prince Theosel denied Prince Mohammed had made fun of Biden. But uh, they said these allegations are false. But uh, numerous others anonymously, I know, they're anonymous, have said, no, no, the prince makes fun of Joe. <laughs> well, there's plenty to, uh, plenty to material for you to have. Um, speaking of, we just read that piece by Victor Davis Hanson and uh, some of the violence that uh, was going to take place, like Madonna saying she wanted to blow up the White House. When you think of the violence, now the Republicans, I mean, it was, Joe has just said in recent days that MAGA Republicans represent an extremism and threatens the very foundations of our republic. Just said that, I think, two or three weeks ago. A campaign staffer for Marco Rubio suffered serious injuries late Sunday while knocking on doors. This from the senator's campaign. Last night, one of our canvassers wearing my T-shirt, so he's wearing a Marco Rubio for Senate T-shirt, and a DeSantis hat, was brutally attacked by four animals who told him Republicans weren't allowed in their neighborhood in Hialeah, Florida, Rubio's campaign posted on Twitter. Now, with animals, they weren't literally animals. They're referring to these individuals as animals. Now, if Nancy Pelosi was around, she'd say, everybody's got a spark of divinity in them. He suffered internal bleeding, a broken jaw, will need facial reconstructive surgery, the campaign added. 
The campaign included photographs of the young man who was attacked that showed his face was badly beaten and his eyes swollen shut. The young man was pictured taken away in an ambulance. Quote, I can tell you this, political violence should not be tolerated by anyone, Rubio added. Our side or their side, we don't tolerate political violence in this country. We decide who governs not by street mobs. We decide who governs by the ballot box. Now, I am not going to say that there's never been a time when a conservative has cold cocked someone. I'm sure it's happened. In fact, I remember there was, I think it was down in Fayetteville, some, some, there was somebody that got up and disrupted a Trump rally and some old man stood up and cold cocked the guy as the police were escorting him out and they escorted both of them out at that point. But, but by and large, that's the exception rather than the rule. Why? Because Republicans and conservatives believe in the rule of law. That's why it's it, you know it's that, are they more moral people? I, I don't know. Although there was a uh, a survey out just I think it just released over the weekend from Rasmussen that uh, the number of Republicans that go to uh, church on a regular basis are a whole lot higher than Democrats. But I'm not I'm not uh, I guess I just did <laughs> pointed the finger at the morality issue. But, but by and large, while the liberals always want to point to to Donald Trump and what happened at the Capitol. And I still maintain that a lot of what happened at the Capitol was instigated by those people on the wrong side of the issue. I'm not talking about the Patriot half. I'm talking about those who had infiltrated the FBI and were urging these people on. Uh, it's, it's, not the, it's not the conservatives that by and large cause violence because they, again, live by the rule of law for the most part. Democrats, their whole mantra, their whole ideology is do whatever it takes, no matter what, to make sure we stay in power. It is sick. It is dangerous. Pray for this young man who uh, got cold cocked down in Florida working for Marco Rubio and DeSantis. Hey, listen, we got to run. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.